it's when I think back to where my journey started and everything is that what I find is what I find is that every time I was suicidal or binging some new or old favorite drug is that every time what I was looking for in the simplest terms was self-transcendent. That is, my relationship to reality wasn't right. And because my relationship to reality was creating more suffering or perpetuating suffering, what had to be done was change that relationship to reality. Not only change that relationship to reality, but because I didn't see the relationship to reality as something separate from me, I saw it as who or what I was. So I was always the problem, and the only way to get away from myself was through death. But I want, <laughs> maybe what I wanted from any kind of pleasurable experience whatsoever, be it sex or food, all these things, even higher states of consciousness, some drug or other, whatever pleasure, whatever pleasure or addiction that arose, the base desire and reason I went to it was because I had in mind that through self-destruction, self-destruction and the self being defined as the body, through the transcendence of the body and its seeming pathological limitations at the time with the body being defined as your relationship to reality then destroying the body would be the way out so it seems but this is not the case you can quite easily have spiritual or other psychological death ego death Right, you can commit psychological suicide quite successfully and safely, <laughs> even returning to your ego afterwards in temporary cases of the experience of self dissolution. So, you can pretty much have the self transcendence at will, you can have what you want from suicide. It's not physical death. What you want from drugs, it's not to get high. It's not the pleasure. It's the liberation from suffering. It's the freedom from all the pain. And you can be entirely without suffering 
you can be entirely without even paying. Before something becomes pain, it is just impact, sensory stimulation. It's only later that we learn to identify habitually that certain things are painful and we call them painful, making them pain. We turn things that aren't pain into pain. And on top of this pain, we then add suffering, which makes the pain something we identify with. We identify as the one who is pain, as the one who is in pain, who is suffering. We become the sufferer of our sufferings. And so pain becomes viewed as a personal punishment, a personal judgment and punishment for who we are, and pleasure becomes viewed as a reward, a blessing for things that we do. We end up viewing this good and evil mentality to things, and there's a lot of self-incrimination and self-judgment and it becomes we become very critical of ourselves whereas it's not really necessary to do that <laughs> the fact that you can pretty much quite easily let go can see when we label things as our pain (laughs) or that I am in pain we can see ourselves when we do that and notice it and stop doing it break the habit Furthermore, when we see that we're labeling something as pain or as pleasure, our pain or pleasure, but even simply as pain or pleasure, we can remove that limiting label and just view it as what it is or hold no particular views about it. We can just experience the experience as it is, as it appears to us. Not as, you, not as we have come to interpret, define, and understand, and limit it. This is very interesting because... We can consider the thing of sexuality, right? The sexual orgasm, we typically view it as intensely pleasurable, and in some cases, due to sexual assault, we may view it extremely negatively, 
or in cases of having very big egos, we may view it negatively because we view it as a loss of control. And if we are not in control, then everything's going to turn to shit, which was absolute nonsense. You are never in control. (laughs) To begin with, everything is in control of itself, so it's fine. Right? The only law we really need is bodily autonomy and the preservation of bodily autonomy. Everything owns itself. (laughs) If we're gonna have ownership, everything owns itself. Everything belongs to itself. And your interactions with it are interactions with other beings who are absolutely free. And you pretty much don't infringe on their autonomy. You engage, you interact with them. You cohabitate and coexist with them. You are one with them. So, the thing of the orgasm that makes it... Oddly entrapping is all this massive set of labels that we have, all this cognitive conditioning, intuitive conditioning, overall psychological conditioning, and spiritual conditioning as well. Just take the finger of your right hand, your pointing finger, and place it lightly on top of your left hand and very lightly rotate it run it in circles over the skin of your left hand and just keep doing that for a minute and if you haven't noticed (laughs) fireworks by then continue for two more minutes if at the three minute mark you haven't noticed anything continue until you reach five minutes if you still haven't noticed anything continue for ten minutes very quickly (laughs) you will realize that pretty much the distinguishing factor of your genitals (laughs) is that or the sexual or the erotic the apparently erotic zones of your body is that they just have more nerve endings than other parts of your skin (laughs) and all you do during sexual stimulation is this repetitive rubbing process and guess what happens when you use exactly the same pretty much method of stimulation that you use with your genitals on any other patch of skin which is pretty much has nerve endings that are pretty much the same as the ones in your genitals. (laughs) What do you think happens when you do this? You're doing a very isomorphic 
behavior. That seems special because you have never, you've never really bothered to try it anywhere else except these few special places. So, pretty much, what happens is that the fireworks pretty much begin if you have a very low tolerance after years of meditation and persistently being in a higher, an increasingly higher state of consciousness. What you find is that pretty much have the full range of sexual stimulation and effects from any old patch of skin. (laughs) Think of the most absurd patch of skin you can think of that is least sexual to you and simply stimulate it this way. If you pretty much don't push it away and are open to the experience, It'll happen. It'll the fireworks will go off. Weird chills, spectacular chills will be set off that are very, very similar to the orgasm. And in some cases you may actually continue long enough if you continue long enough. What will happen is that you will have a complete orgasm. (laughs) So, if you view it this way, you have a similar set of senses and soma, psyche, and spirit can be viewed as these wave phenomenon. Having wave phenomenon which propagate through field phenomena which are in themselves held in dimensional or plane phenomena. So you are basically this one complete ocean of overlapping phenomena that is all just blended together. (laughs) And it's both many and it's one simultaneously. The boundaries between things are like the changes from one medium to another like the shift when you go into a pool of water the change in the feeling of the air on your hand to the change in the feeling of the water on your hand when you wash the dishes it's just that change in the density and depth of the waves that you are encountering. And each wave is transformed and transforms frequently in all its characteristics 
and developmental stages are changes in the fields. And initiations are then changes in the planes. For her, I'm saying has a lot of implications. <laughs> it has many implications. Even in the bits and pieces I'm presenting it in. sexuality is that it stands as quite a primary example of the sacredness of all things because there are pretty much sexual fetishes for everything you can think of. There's sort of a rule 34 for sexuality in general that if it exists at all, there is someone somewhere, most likely many someones in many places who are sexually aroused by it. There are people who are quite just looking at around the backyard I'm walking through now. There are people who are sexually aroused by trees. There are people who are sexually aroused by walls. Sexually aroused by fences. <laughs> or simply metal. Or water. And liquids. And fruit. air and breathing if you ever focus on the rhythm of your breath and fully synchronize all your actions during sex being fully relaxed in your body as relaxed as possible while continuing the right pace of sexual stimulation but while predominantly meditating on the breath drawing in slower and deeper breaths you will see fireworks (laughs) (laughs) many many fireworks experiences of sacred sexuality and the sacredness of sexuality it is likely that sex was the first experience of divinity and then second was most likely food food in the form of entheogenics 
yes. The odd thing in the spiritual communities I've engaged in, apart from the strictly trans and queer ones, is that sexuality is always a taboo topic. It's as if, worst of all, in the non-dual communities, identity, (laughs) having a unique identity or ego of any kind is quite taboo. But it is very clear from the literature of the great masters, from Ramdas to even further back than that, you have Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, and the Buddha is that the point is never to be stuck in either just being one fixed identity. The idea of fixity of identification and fixity of personalization to simply be just one thing always. Even if that one thing is everything is problematic. (laughs) It is limiting. As Jen and Jay Kiorij always always said, you must never run out of people to be. Always be, be more. Become, never run out of people to become, to be, to become. To be, to buzz. <laughs> like the tingles of consciousness as you shift states and rapture rains down. What the communities forget is always the issue of integration. And the very ancient traditions is that what you do is always leave society and enter some kind of a monastic life. And in the monastic life, you'd become an an ascetic, abandoning all earthliness and worldliness, including your social roles and responsibilities. But what we have nowadays is that most people cannot move into a monastic setting in current society, in contemporary society, because there are no such monastic settings. (laughs) There are no ashrams in most places. And they can't afford that. They can't afford to be supported by that system as in the old way. Because if you are going to be Isangoma, as it is called in the Zulu culture, you would be taken off to the Sangoma's house at a very early age. You would be seen for your talents 
and you would get initiated into the tradition and become a spiritual doctor within the community. Sangoma is a combination of a medicine person with spiritual and psychological healing as well. So a somatic doctor, a psychological doctor, and a spiritual doctor, all wrapped up in one, and would use their mastery of all these classes of phenomena in order to treat each person's issues holistically. So pretty much now that we don't have this monastic option in our lives and most of us are pursuing enlightenment while being fully plugged into Western hyper-capitalist consumerism. (laughs) As you are likely listening to this podcast from, is that... Is that... We need this additional psychological integration which is present through that which is present through the um, the ethical practices the codes of conduct and so on that were created or the works and social engagement aspects of each tradition the compassion practices that's what they were trying to do that's what they were for to be in the world and not of it you're not supposed to go out of the world and escape it entirely and just be on your own planet integration is always an important thing so your enlightenment is not just your own personal enlightenment that is completely selfish and benefits only you because if it does then you have basically wasted the privilege you have you have managed to get privileged information and abilities and completely use them for your own advantage instead of using them for the benefit of society for it is the society that has allowed you the privilege of actually becoming enlightened and that's just one view on this matter (laughs) that's not the only view I hold because you must be quite selfish and really abandon your attachments to everyone in order to become enlightened your attachments not the people you can remain in relationships with people without being attached with them you can remain fully socially integrated and become fully completely enlightened 
like the things they differentiate is typically between the path of freedom and the path of humanity which is what happens after the people go from seekers to being finders right you can read this in the book of finders by dr jeffrey martin but pretty much what people do after they become finders is that they lose the sense of seeking and they become explorers and explorers which are just enlightened people what they do is either take the path if they continue to go forward and become increasingly more enlightened in mastering the enlightenment what they do is enter either the path of humanity or the path of freedom the path of humanity is maintaining a small bit of your ego the smallest bit possible that is solely defined by being compassionate and serving others and they remain in the world and they don't pursue enlightenment any further the people on the path of freedom abandon this compassion entirely abandon all social integration and they go headlong into further and further locations of persistent non-symbolic experience they become increasingly more enlightened and increasingly more detached from anything related to any person's ordinary life they basically become those old hermits of the mountain who are completely naked and running through the mountains <laughs> and they're seen every 500 years by like two people and those two people become enlightened from seeing them and so on and so forth the very mythical figures you get but instead what i've proposed now and what is coming to the fore in the literature of transpersonal psychology what is very important and it's also there in the psychedelic research being done at maps is the process of integration it's that now you're enlightened society is not created in a way that produces enlightened people it's mostly created for people who aren't enlightened to have a prick a practically normal life that does not require enlightenment basically that's what you're socialized into to a world of non-enlightenment for normal functioning which is perfectly fine for most of people most of the time it's only if your psychosis if your suffering is acute right your unsatisfactoriness of your life is acute and you have the sheer audacity to pursue enlightenment all the way that you will actually get there or in some cases you're just hit by lightning which is pretty much what happens to everyone meditation makes you accident prone but what happens is still pretty much an accident <laughs> because there's very little known connection 
between what lying still and not thinking and somehow changing your relationship to reality how these two are connected is quite unclear (laughs) quite unclear I guess it changes the way your brain functions, but that's the somatic explanation. It doesn't explain all the other really mystical stuff that occurs at the time. So having that in mind then... Man, I go on tangents. But having that in mind then, what we have now is the path of integration the path of integration or the path of the navigator is pretty much people who go full throttle into social activism and being socially engaged and are also going full throttle into the heights of the path of freedom what they've managed to do is basically add this additional set of practices which integrates into daily life which matures themselves psychologically right it takes the spiritual development integrates it psychologically and somatically through embodiment and creates sort of integrated integral and holistic growth look at Aurobindo's integral yoga and Ken Wilber's integral work and Jorge Ferreira's participatory work as well which is also meta-modern which is meta-modern and but building on integral and closely related to integral or you can look at my omnist writings as well which go even further with syncretism and takes everything into regard. Everyone is right, but never alone. But yes. <laughs> so, what we have here is this path of integration where you're not holding back in any regard and you're fully invested in one with the world. You really pretty much the path of integration is what happens when you go beyond the path of humanity I mean you go beyond a limited definition of compassion and you enter yeah an omniperspectival and polyperspectival version of compassion, a context-dependent compassion, a compassion that is premised upon a value-neutral nihilism, right? You take nihilism to the fullest brunt, that life has optional meaning, Not that it has no meaning at all, it just has no fixed meaning, which means it can have any meaning whatsoever. It's infinitely meaningful. (laughs) 
and you can either include meaning or leave it out as it suits you but you don't require that meaning in living out your life it's not necessary it's optional and in that way then the path of integration works towards going as far as possible into the further reaches of human nature as Maslow referred to them and bringing all these gifts back to everyone else this is in a sense what I'm attempting to do with this very loose and casual approach to this stuff although I get technical and spiritual at times but pretty much having a frank discussion as possible but the point of integration is important because where we started with this talk is that sexuality and identity and the ego are usually excluded but that's because people usually aren't meant to return to social activity after they get enlightened you pursue enlightenment after you are done with everything else including raising your children to adulthood and your entire career it's something you do at the end of your life pretty much when you've enjoyed the lot of your work but if you pretty much can't wait because you are a drug addict and you are suicidal and the world is burning in front of you and you need something stronger than your individual empathy and compassion which will turn you into a martyr and lead to burnout sooner than later <laughs> You need something far more powerful than just your mere heartfelt empathy. You need a transcendent level of empathy in which the extent to which you are feeling the suffering of others does not impair your ability to make life and death decisions involving others. and that's where the path of integration comes in and the path of integration brings back sexuality and all the other fun things of life you are in the world and of the world and not of the world you are everything and everything is you and every 